Good evening. This is Andel Banks, your host on Wish Upon a Star. Wish Upon a Star is a dynamic radio program spotlighting talent in the arts arena with discussions of the challenges and mental advice in making it individual, musical, literary, painting, and performing arts. As a unique part of our show, we will interview professional guests, experts in the fields of entertainment law, copywriting, studio recording, publishing, and promoters, all relative to this highly competitive industry. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is Linda Goss, educator, author, storyteller, griot, and co-founder of the National Association of Black Storytellers. As an introduction, we have we have coming up the most interesting seasons of the year. Thanksgiving, Kwanzaa, and Christmas. The seasons when there is the chill in the air and families come together for hot suits, apple pie, hearty laughter, and those proverbial good old days stories which always emerge. What better way to start the conversation than with a traditional cultural story or history? And our guest today comes up with the traditional griot. Griot is a story of African culture and legacy. Before the beginning of the griot storyteller, few Americans had never heard of griots or knew its meaning. Our honored guest, Linda Goss, is someone who has contributed greatly to the preservation of this African oral tradition in the United States and abroad. Her biography, Linda Goss, is an award-winning storyteller, educator, writer, and an advocate for peace, justice, and human rights. She is affectionately known by thousands as Mama Linda. Linda Goss was born Linda Yvonne Manier in Alcor, Tennessee. She has a BFA in drama from Howard University and a master's degree in education from Antioch University. She is a member of the Zeta Phi Beta sorority. Well known as a forerunner and a trailblazer in the black storytelling movement in America. Mama Linda and Mother Mary Carter Smith, deceased, are the founders of In the Tradition, the National Black Storytelling Festival and Conference that was founded in 1982. The first festival was held in 1983. The National Association of Black Storytellers, which was founded in 1984 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. According to the Maryland State Arts Council, Maryland Traditions, Mama Linda Goss is the nation's foremost African-American storyteller and in the same year was named Philadelphia's official storyteller. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, well. It's storytelling time. Beautiful. I have to tell everyone I've attended many of the griot shows, and Mama Linda is one that starts off her show to let us know that it is storytelling time. I'm not going to take up too much time because I don't know exactly that much about it. So what I want you to do, Mama Linda, is give us what this passion and skill took for you to start this organization. Well, storytelling comes from my family. I grew oh. up in a storytelling home. Okay. And I thank you, Sister Andell Banks, for inviting me here. So I always have to begin with my home. I always have to go back home. And my maiden name is Linda Yvonne McNear. McNear. Okay. And I have my latest book. is called The Color of My Soul. And this best describes really what my town is all about. And even though I left when I went to college, went to Washington, D.C., then moved to Philadelphia, and now I live in Baltimore, I remember the drives back home, especially when I lived in Philadelphia and I would drive back to Alcoa. So I want to share this poem from my latest work. The book is called The Color of my soul, and it's called There is a Place. There is a place where I can go when I'm tired and feeling so low. It's called Alcoa, down in Tennessee, where mom and dad are waiting there for me. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. I don't have to write. I don't have to phone. All I do is just go back home, back to our court down in Tennessee, where mom and dad are waiting there for me. Tennessee, morning dew, mountain green. Dad is smiling. Hey, hey, hey. Mama's cooking beef stew. Tennessee, morning, dew, mountain green. How I love you. Yes, I do. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. I jump in the car. From Philly, heading 76 West, on to 81 South. Stop at Cousin Sharon's house to get a bite to eat and a little rest. Next morning, back on 81 South to 40 West. Oh, I hope I don't get stuck behind a transfer truck. Driving through rows of trees on top of rows of hills. Inhaling a sweet mountain breeze. I must confess. These magic moments, I appreciate the best. Alcor Highway, 129. When I go home, I don't need a bag. 
I don't need a dime. I don't need any money. On to Hall Road, past Pistol Creek. Memories of childhood is what I seek. Past the train tracks. Make a left on Bell. Can't wait to see them. Oh, there's so much to tell. There's St. Paul AME Church up on the hill. Folks call Dad Junior. Folks call Mom Bill. Tennessee morning dew, mountain green. Dad is forever smiling. <laughs> Mom is forever cooking beef stew. Oh, how I love you. Yes, I do. Mm, mm, mm. Fried apples, grits, and collard greens. Mm, mm, mm. Candy yams, mac and cheese, and pinto beans. Hush puppies, catfish, black-eyed peas, and cornbread. I can tell you one thing. Us young'uns show was well-fed. Tennessee, morning dew, mountain green. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, I love you. Yes, I do. And that is a poem about going back to my home in memory of my beloved parents. Mr. and Mrs. Willie Murphy McNear, and the children down there, my friends would tease me because my father's first name was Willie Murphy McNear, and my mother's first name was Willie Louise Martin McNear. So my parents had the same first name, so sometimes the kids would call me Willie Willie, Willie Willie, Willie Willie. <laughs> but now I wear that Willie Willie with pride. And as I said in the poem, most people called him Junior. Junior was his nickname, and Bill was my mother's nickname. She was a teacher. She was a great teacher down there in Alcoa. And my father works at the Aluminum Company of America. He worked at the largest plant down there, which at one time was the largest aluminum plant in the world. And my granddaddy, Granddaddy Murphy, who told me lots of stories, worked at the South Plant, and that was also called the pot room. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Granddaddy Murphy. He wore a three-piece suit to work every day. The vest with the pocket watch, two-tone shoes, and a hat. He was dressed to the nines, as folks would say. And you know what? My Granddaddy Murphy was the janitor at the plant. He swept and mopped the floors, and he swept and mopped those floors in a three-piece suit because he was so proud, so thankful to have a job because back in those days, it was hard to find work, especially if you were black. And Granddaddy had come from Alabama. He had come from the plantations where his family had been, had, had been sharecroppers. He was hardly making anything. So when he came to Alcoa with my grandmother, his wife, Melaza, and my father, who was three years old at the time, 
and they eventually had another son who died. When they set foot in our core, granddaddy said he got on the ground here. He kissed that ground. And he said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me. And he ended up in a nice little house. And he had was able to buy him a car. And like he said, oh, Lord, I don't have to deal with Jim Crow no more. And even if I do have to deal with Jim Crow, I'm going to be driving a Buick. I'm going to be going to work in a three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. So, Jim Crow, you ain't going to worry me no more. So, as you can see, just listening to my grandfather, my father, and my mother, and my right. Uncle Buster. Can't, we can't forget Uncle Buster. And my aunts who would sing, and they were good at sewing and making quilts. I was surrounded not only by love, but by some great storytelling. And I kept my ear close to the wall, close to the post. I didn't really do a lot lot of talking during those days. I did most listening, because that's what's important about the storyteller. That's what's important about the griot, is to be able to remember, to remember the ancestors, to respect the elders, and to uplift the youth. And I want to share something about the word griot. Well, that's now, my in, next question. That's what okay. I said you're rolling into. <laughs> okay, yes, fine. ma'am. And you can interject anytime you want to. Okay, uh, okay. I wanted to say, uh, Mama Linda, that for our audience who may not be familiar with the term of griot, what mm-hmm. is the essence of the black storytelling or the role of the griot? So you're right okay. on time. Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, first of all, the word griot is a French word. It comes from the French. And it's used in Senegal, Gambia, and Mali. And the griots are singing musicians and historians. And they have retained hundreds and hundreds of years, 500 years or more of stories, of histories of their people. And when Alex Haley went to Senegal and discovered his roots, he met the griots. He met the singing musicians, and he brought that word Mm -hmm. back to the United States. And so Mother Mary Carter Smith met him, and she was the first of the black storytellers who started calling herself griot. And so um, others, because they admired her so much, in her honor, began calling themselves griots as well. But you have to remember that Africa is a continent with over 55 or almost probably over 60 countries in it. And they have various languages. Over a thousand languages are spoken in Africa. And so the storyteller, depending on the nation or the family of people, may have a different title and may have a slightly different role. For right. example, in Mali, the griot is not called the word griot, it's called jolly, jolly-ya, jolly-ya. Now, that's what most um, people out of Senegal and, and throughout, uh, I would say, parts of West Africa, that's the mm-hmm. term they use. The griot is primarily used in Senegal and Gambia, but the term has become very popular over here in the United States. And again, the essence of the griot or the role of the black storyteller 
is to connect with the community. Right. Is to share the stories, the history of our people, and what we had to go through in coming out of Africa and to this new world that became America. Talk. Uh, we have to talk about and know about the Middle Passage, as the song says, how we got over. So we have to know history, and yeah. we have to know the fables, the folk tales that come out of Africa, and the folk tales and fables that were created here in this land. We have to know a little bit of the blues, because the blues came out of this country. And we have to know a little bit about uh, the characters, some of the characters of the story, such as Bruh Rabbit, and Bruh Bear, and Bruh Fox. We also have to know the story about uh, the signifying monkey. So there are lots of stories that have been passed on down to us. And we as storytellers and griots, we don't always have to make up our own stories. We carry the stories with us that we've heard others tell, especially Uh the elders. So we be, so we so we so we become more or less like a like a library, a repository of just thousands of stories, of thousands of ideas. Uh-huh. And it doesn't mean we might remember every single one of them. We we uh, may try to, you know. Again, we always try to do the best we can, and we share stories depending on our audience. We may have an all adult audience. Um, as a matter of fact, this, the program you came to was the Love Stories, and that was for adults. Mm-hmm. Then we may do programs that are geared for families, for children. So again, um, storyteller or griot has to know really the knowledge, the knowledge of what storytelling is all about and how, in essence, for me, storytelling is a calling. And the same thing would be true of Brother Blue. He is our spiritual butterfly man. He passed away in 2009, and he was a great storyteller out of New England, out of Massachusetts. And he would come to our festivals every year. Uh As a matter of fact, we have uh, an award named after him. The Brother Blue Circle of Elders Award was created in his honor and in his memory. And we induct elders into this circle. And we've been doing this for many years, and so we have many elders into the circle because we want people to know just how valuable, just how important the elders are. And you have to, you must have respect for the elders. If you don't have respect for the elders, then you can't have respect for yourself because the elders came before you. The elders taught you. There is no such thing as a self-made human being. When you came into this earth, someone had to feed you, hold you, change your diaper, clothe you, guide you, all Mm -hmm. of those things. So when we talk about the disconnect, and that's what it is now. And yeah. going through not only Baltimore, but and through a lot of cities and even some small towns, right. there is a crisis everywhere. 
because there is a disconnect. There's a disconnect among the family. There's a disconnect between the youth and the elders and the ancestors. You have to remember the ancestors. You have to know from whence you came. You have to remember the elders because they have the knowledge and they have the wisdom. There's a story I tell about how lightning taught hair, hair, you know, rabbit, mm-hmm. how to make fire. Now, rabbit was so excited, he made this big fire, invite all the animals to come around. They had never seen such a thing as fire. They tried to touch it, and it burned them. They started throwing things into this fire. This fire grew larger and larger. Matter of fact, this fire got so hot, got so mad, till it got out of control and burned the whole forest down. And so, what is the lesson there? Because that story is a fable. And a fable Mm -hmm. is a story, usually an animal story, that teaches us the lesson. Well, you have to think about what the main character is or who the main character is in the story. Mm -hmm. Some may say lightning. Some may say rabbit. Some may say the forest. But the main character is really fire. And what does fire symbolize? Well, in the story, fire symbolizes power. And when someone gives you power, or when you get cult of power, you have to know what? You have to know how to control it. Right. You can't let it get out of control. Because if it gets out of control, it becomes ruthless. It just starts destroying everything in its path. So even though lightning had passed knowledge on to rabbit, rabbit didn't know how to use it. Therefore, he did not gain the wisdom from it. It's just like when you go online, when you work on the computer, and you're Googling all this information. It's true. The computer online gives us information, tons of information, tons of materials. But it doesn't always give us knowledge. Knowledge is something that is learned, and once you take that knowledge, you have to experience it. You have to experience things. You have to test it. You have to look at it and see what it's all about and remember it. And once you experience, that's how you gain wisdom. Knowledge is learned Wisdom is experienced. Right. What you just said was its very interesting because I think James Baldwin alluded to the idea of power, how oh, yes. we don't really uh, select the people we want to run in the country mm-hmm. as a president yes. or whatever. Yes. We are mm-hmm. only uh, told to elect them, but we don't select yes. them. The other thing that you said was very important is that you spoke about when your 
I think you said it was your father who went to work with a three-piece suit. My grandfather. My grandfather. Your grandfather. Mm-hmm. That reminds us what Martin Luther King told us, that no matter yes. what kind of job you have, as long as you yes. do it. Yes. With the greatest amount of indulgence of that's what you are doing, that it will yes. go forward. Again, what we want to talk about, too, Mama uh, Linda, is Mm -hmm. that the National Association of Black Storytellers is a well-known type of organization, and the association is, and we know it talks about the indigenous of spreading and preserving the art form of black culture storytelling. Well, give us the background. Of, of the full mission of the NADS, as it is called. Okay, well, it is currently called the National Association of Black Storytellers, and you can Google us and find out all about us. We have a wonderful website. We have all, all the latest things in technology, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things. And this began really... In terms of the birth, I would say going back to the 70s when I first met Mother Mary Carter Smith in Washington, D.C. at the Mm -hmm. Festival of American Folklife. This was at the Smithsonian. And we would meet every now and then, and we would talk about the possibility of having a festival one day, a black festival one day. Then in 1982, we were both featured at the National Storytelling Festival down in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And it's been around for a long time. It's been around for probably over 40-some-odd years. And it's a great festival. But, But one of the concerns was it didn't, it wasn't able to showcase many African Americans. And in the 10 years, when they had their 10th anniversary, I remember at their 10th anniversary, and and think about it, 10 years, they only had five black people representing 10 years worth of their anniversary. So Mother Mary and I said, well, we know there are other black storytellers out there, and our stories need to be told. And so here again, we called out, well, oh, well, well, and the people responded. So Mother Mary said, I will take the idea to Linda Jenkins Brown in Baltimore. Uh And she was bachelor's of the Zetas at the time. And she says she'll know what to do. And sure enough, the Zetas uh, agreed to sponsor the first festival. They were nonprofit, and they got a grant from the Maryland Humanities Council. And as they say, the rest was history. The first festival was held on the campus of Morgan State University in 1983, and it featured black storytellers from all over the country, including from Canada. The word got out, and remember now, this was before cell phone and email and all of that. The Uh word got out so far and so fast. We had people who came in from Alaska. That's how far wide. It was people, it was over a thousand people there. And we opened up with prayer and a circle, a love circle. And we only had it for two days. And we ended with a circle. 
and that's part of the tradition. And our festival is called In the Tradition, National Black Festival, National Black Storytelling Festival and Conference, because In the Tradition is very important. Remembering the tradition, remembering our African traditions, and also many of our African-American traditions that were created right over here. Right. So, uh, so from there, we went to the next festival was in Philly because that's where I was living at the time. And I promised Mama Mary, I said, well, if you have it in, in Baltimore, I'll bring it to Philly. So I brought the festival to Philly. Oh, my goodness, people were so excited. We had the festival at the African-American Museum. It was also at James Memorial Church. It was at the Please Touch Museum. We were all over the place. And the Philadelphia, um, the black paper, my, my mind just skipped for a second. But the, because I'm thinking of the Pittsburgh Courier, but the black paper in Philadelphia, they did a whole, the Philadelphia Tribune, the Philadelphia Tribune, Ooh. they did a whole pullout sheet about the festival that went around to all the kids, all the kids at all the public schools for all races of children, not just black children. And it was like a little Mm -hmm. pamphlet that kids could uh, read about us. They could do, uh, they could ask questions. It it gave them activities to do. And so um, from that, I remember that, that closing, we had our circle and the people said, where is the next festival? And it was, there is no next festival. Mama Mary had it in Baltimore. I'm having it in Philly. And that's it. And the people said, no, no, this cannot stop. This must continue. And they actually took a plate. I remember someone's hat. They took a hat and everybody chipped in their pennies, their nickels, their dimes. I remember that night over $1,000 was raised. And they put it in my hand. And they said, this must continue. We must organize. And so in Philadelphia, the organization was born, the Association of Black Storytellers, which later became the National Association of Black Storytellers. And from there, the next festival was held in Washington, D.C. And so it grew on and on and on. So it's important to note that it was the people who called for this Mm -hmm. to continue, and they drafted me as the first president. And they said, will you do it? And I said, yes. And so that's how it, 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 it began. And so here we are 36 years later. We're getting ready to swear in our 16th president at the 36th festival coming up in North Carolina. And each year we go to a different place because we try to pull out storytelling, black storytelling right. in that area. And we have 15 affiliates and we have four major programs. We have the Adopt-A-Teller program, so wherever we are, storytellers are all throughout the community, in the churches, in the hospitals, in the community centers, in the schools, in the libraries. They're all out doing while our festival is there. And one year when we were in New Orleans, we had 81 sites, 81 different places that, that the storytellers went to while the festival was still being held. That's magnificent. Thank you. That is absolutely great. 
Now, you also, I have to tell my audience, that you are an author. And your authorship yes. publications are very impressive. So, if thank you, do you? I'll, I'm going to take a break, and when I come, we mm-hmm. come back. I want mm-hmm. you to give our audience, if you feel like, feel like you can do it, do as many as you can an overview of the books. Tell us how many, and then give us an overview of each one of the stories. Because I know my audience is really enjoying this because I am. We're going to be right thank back, you. ladies and gentlemen, in fifth. Seconds. Just get loose. District. Yeah. That, that, that. What up, y'all? Just came yeah. to your city to serve us up. What up? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me love. Show me love. Hop off the plane to a new show what up? And all the shorties, they be waiting on me Thugs packing they pistols <laughs> But ain't nobody aiming on me, Not me. Got a pocket full of fresh dough no, So you know I gotta bake it, homie bake it for me. And I'm thankful Ooh. Get whatever you want for some. Hi, this is Andrew Banks, your host of Wish Upon a Star Thanks for listening to Wish Upon a Star Broadcasting on www.bbsradio.com station. We also welcome comments and suggestions. You can send those to us via email at musicradio34 at gmail.com or listen to our show live broadcast on any of our 50 affiliate stations at bbsradio.com forward slash affiliate dash partners. We are also on iTunes, Facebook, and you can listen to any of our previous broadcasts in the archive link. And the archive link show page is bbsradio.com forward slash wish upon a star hashtag archives. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to welcome back our guest today. Mama Linda, Linda Goss, was an educator, author, and the founder of the National Association of Black Storytellers. When we left Mama Linda, we were talking about all those wonderful places and things where we also include children, because we know children are our future. So I want you to also let our audience know that you write books. So if you have a moment, give me, give tell me how many books you have. And give us okay. an overview of each of them. Okay, thank you. Well, I have published seven books, and I'm in many anthologies. And the first book I published was with my husband, and it was called it is called The Baby Leopard. And it is a folktale, a fable, and it's a cautionary tale about warning children to not mess with fire, how but it's a story that doesn't really scare children, but it's a story that just warns them to listen to your parents, obey your parents. And this story has been used by firemen. It has been used in various schools. Now, Ooh. the story is out of print. It came out in 1989. However, you can get it online. And all of a sudden, it has become like a collector's item. Uh, I was down in Tennessee this summer where I was honored. And so I took some copies down there. And so people said, well, we want some more. So I went online, and I think they felt, oh, there's a rush on the baby leopard story. Now you go online, and they're selling it for like $200. 
So this so it's very expensive to get now. So I would wait until the market goes goes down where you can get it back you know, for about five dollars because I can't even afford afford that. But that's the but some some libraries still have copies of the book. The second book I published was Talk That Talk. And this was published by Simon and Schuster and this is available at Amazon dot com. And this is Talk That Talk, an anthology of African-American storytelling. And it was edited by me and Marion E. Barnes with an introduction by Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr. And everybody oh. knows who Dr. Gates is. And so this book has an excellent introduction to it. And it's been a very popular book. It's still in print. It came out in 1989. And it was uh, voted by Publishers Weekly as one of the best paperbacks in 1989. And it is a unique book. It is one of a kind, and many storytellers, now I didn't make this up, this is what the storytellers say, they call this the Bible of black storytelling, because oh. it has just a wealth of stories in here. And uh, Sister Marion and I, we talk about storytellers, we talk about storytelling, and we talk about stories which makes it different from it being a book of folklore or a collection of stories. There are many stories in here, but we also have at the end of each section uh, essays by prominent black folklorists, because a lot of people don't realize that there is such a thing as a black folklorist. And people Mm -hmm. have gone to college, universities, and they've gotten their Ph.D. in folklore. Matter of fact, one of my mentors was... Gladys Marie Fry, may she rest in peace, she was the first African-American, male or female, to get a Ph.D. in folklore, and she did this at the University of, of Indiana. And as she used to say, I was her last pupil. She passed away just a couple of years ago. And uh, so this book reflects the black folklorist as well as black storytellers. We have a whole section, the black preacher as storyteller, because the black minister is a storyteller. So mm-hmm. we talk about that. We talk about how the comedians are storytellers, especially we think of uh, Dick Gregory and Red, uh, Red Fox and uh, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor's stories, he, he told stories within his comedy. So, uh, so the book is still out there, I'm proud to say, and so if anyone's interested in getting it, they can go on, on Amazon. The other books are Jump Up and Say. I also did uh, that one with my husband. That's like a sequel to uh, Talk That Talk. Another book my husband and I did is called It's Kwanzaa Time. And there are a lot of books out there about Kwanzaa. But what's different about our book is that we have a story in there for each day of Kwanzaa. So we have seven stories in there. We also have recipes, and we even have like a perspective, like an outline, a guideline as to how you can have your own Kwanzaa program. Because in Philadelphia, I was part of a group called Educators to Africa, and we would have Kwanzaa programs. And I've been celebrating Kwanzaa since, since the 60s because uh, Milana Ron Karinga created this in 1966. And at that time, I was at Howard University. So Kwanzaa came to Howard because Howard has always been like the mecca of black uh-huh. culture, especially academic culture, anything new. 
So I knew about Kwanzaa when I moved, when, you know, when we moved to Philadelphia. So uh, I've always, and I've even have participated in Kwanzaa where we did all seven days. And we went to a different house each day to celebrate the principles. So in the book, we talk about how you can celebrate Kwanzaa, bringing the people together, how you can talk about all the principles together. We have in there all of the symbols and and all of the principles and what each principle means. And so we create it like it's very community, community-oriented. Uh, my other book includes The Frog Who Wanted to Be a Singer. And that was a story that was passed on to me from my granddaddy, from Granddaddy Murphy. And it's really about having courage, having believing in yourself. I would say Kujichakalia, which is second principle of Kwanzaa, which means self-determination, and Kaumba, which means creativity, you know, sharing your talent. The frog feels he has talent. He feels he can sing. Now, it's true. We may not think the frog can sing, but he thinks he can sing. So he has the right to share his voice. And that's uh-huh. what happens. And in singing, the animals realize that they like it because the frog has rhythm. And so from there, as my grandfather used to say, that's how rhythm and blues was born, and the animals been dancing ever since. So that's another book. Then I did a book, an anthology with two of the members of the National Association of Black Storytellers, Brother Dylan Pritchard of Virginia and Dr. Carly Sink Reed of Philadelphia. And this book is called Saying Something. And this is the first book published by our our, our organization. This is published by the, huh? Well, what's the name of it? Saying Something. You know how you're saying something? Oh, okay. S-A-Y-I-N. <laughs> okay. Yeah, in other words, we, 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 we got the dialect in there, okay? okay? And this is a collection of stories by our members, and that was published by us. And so you would have to get that book really when you come to our festivals or when you email the organization. The other books I mentioned to you, you can get them online, even though the frog would be a singer out of print, but you can still get that online as, at a reasonable price. And then my latest book is The Color of My Soul. And the poem I read to you, There is a Place, came from that book. And that was published uh, by a folklorist out of Philadelphia, Dr. Deborah Kodish. And so that was published through Blurb, which means I sell the book myself. I haven't turned it over to Amazon yet because... A lot of people don't realize, unless you are a major publishing house, like Simon & Schuster or Random House, Uh you have to be careful getting involved with with Amazon. So uh, I sell the book uh, myself. So if people who are listening in want to order the book from me, they can contact me at my email, which is nabsfounder at gmail.com. That's N for Nancy. A for Apple, B for Boy, S for Sam, Founder, F-O-U-N-D-E-R, at gmail.com. Okay, and we're going to repeat all of that, 20, too, hmm? before we get off the air. We're going to repeat all of the information. Yes, definitely. Too. And the book, okay. sells, 
themselves sells for $20 plus shipping and handling. And I will autograph the book for you. And I believe in giving out tea bags. Everyone who knows me, who has ever gotten a card from me, I, I love tea. And I send a, a little tea bag uh, and all of my little cards and things and a nice little thank you note. So, uh, so hopefully some people will want to get the book. Excellent. And I think that's it. I think that's seven, right? Were you counting, Sister Banks? Yes, I was. I've got. I think yeah. I've got all of them. Yeah. Okay. I think that was seven. And I'm in many, many anthologies. So. Um, oh, I think it was six. Hmm. Color my soul was the last one. That was six. Well, that's anyway, seven. We're going to okay, repeat all of them. Let's go yeah. over. Okay, Baby Leopard. Talk that talk. Hold on. Hold on. Number one. Uh, I don't have my glasses. I lost my glasses. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's time for control. Okay. Preachers. Uh, number three. Number one was the baby leopard. Okay. Baby leopard. Okay. Number two was talk that talk. Talk that talk. Number, number three, three was yeah, jump, up, just and say, up and say. Jump up and say. Number, number four, four was it's Kwanzaa, it's Kwanzaa time. time. Number five was the frog who wanted to be a singer. Okay, well I I got two four, so you're correct. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Number five and number six um, was, was collaboration, saying something. Mm-hmm. And, and number seven the is the was color of color my soul, mind. and that's my first book of poetry. Okay. Hi, Mama Linda. Yes. I just wanted to uh, say that um, the story that you did tell earlier about where you lived and your family and everything, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people can identify with that. Every mm-hmm. holiday, that's why I brought that in. We sit around mm-hmm. and do, I don't know with you, but the stories seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> I mean, you know, they go like such and such a thing. And then mm-hmm. I had Thanksgiving at my house for 22 years before my mother passed. And mm-hmm. my brothers and all of them, sadly to say, the deceased. But um, my sister just passed three weeks ago. And uh, we would tell those stories and we would all laugh because everybody, every time mm-hmm. they tell it, Every maybe five years it changes, so I'm saying mm-hmm. knowing and telling in your family legacy is an extremely crucial part of one's growth and progress. Like you said, you yes. listened, and then yes. you were guided. When did you realize that black storytelling or even cultural storytelling was such an important aspect of one's life, and that it would become as big as it is? Well, I would say it happened for me. Uh, I would say twice. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a great history teacher. I went to a segregated school, Ms. Harris, and she gave us an assignment to to interview the oldest family member and find oh. out what this person knew. So I interviewed Granddaddy Murphy. 
And he told me the story about how he came out of Alabama and how his grandfather had been a slave and how he ran away. He didn't want to be a slave. Oh, I thought I was something, honey. I brought that story and told it to the class. The class laughed at me and said they didn't believe that story. They said my granddad was lying. <laughs> First report when he said that he had come from Alabama to Tennessee by river on the boat. And they said, no way. They said, ain't nothing around here but the Pistol Creek. They said, your granddad ain't come on no boat. So, but I realized how important that was at the time. And I went back and told granddaddy what they said. And he chuckled, too. But he said it was true. But he, but he also thought it was funny. And then when I went to college, Howard University, we had our student center was called a punch-out because you, if you hung in there too much, you were going to punch out of school. So I would hang around there and tell stories, stories about my hometown. And the students just fascinated with the stuff, I would say. And so I majored in theater and drama. So uh, my junior year, I started just, reading all these stories, and I love bookstores. And D.C. had such great bookstores at the time. even had a black bookstore called Drum and Spear. So I started going to all these bookstores and buying all these stories. Some of them I remembered my granddaddy telling them to me, and so I just started collecting these books. And then uh, I got married uh, after college, had had my child, and a second child, I would tell them stories, and my husband worked at Howard University, and he was in the Institute for the Arts and Humanities, and they were collecting information on the black experience, on black culture. And Dr. Stephen Henderson said, we don't have anything on storytelling. So we got the poetry, we got the music, we got dance, we got uh-huh. visual art. Where is the storytelling? And he says, well, let me tell stories. He said, well, tell her to come, and they tell her to come on in and tell some stories. And that's how I got out there, you know, you know, in front of the public. I started telling those stories, and the rest was history. But I do believe I was called to do this. Because as I tell people when I was around 12, I was called to preach. But I didn't take the call. It frightened me. And being 12, I loved boys, and I didn't want to, I want to still have boyfriends and talk on the phone, hang, hang out with my friends. And it frightened me, and I didn't tell my parents anything about it. But I did have a calling. And so later on, I got another calling. And this time it was to go out and tell the stories. Because what I do, really, it all comes from the men upstairs, as I call them. It comes from God. And so I feel that what I do really is his work, is sharing because storytelling has led me to so many places. I've met people from all over the world, people from all races, from all backgrounds. I've told stories in synagogues, at Armenian schools, um, in Catholic churches. And I never will forget, I was telling stories at this Catholic school, and when it was over, all the children just surrounded me. The school went from, I think, from kindergarten up to, like, junior high, you know, middle school. And the kids surrounded me. They wanted my autograph. And there was this little boy fighting through the crowd. He was trying to push everybody out of the way. Oh, he was trying to, apparently he was trying trying to get to me. And finally he grabbed hold of my 
my you know my African garb, and 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 he could hardly talk. And everybody got quiet to see what he had to say. And he looked at me, and it was like what he was going to say. Depending on my answer, it was going to make his day. This was going to, this would this would have saved saved the world. My answer, <laughs> and so and so his question was, "Are you Catholic?" Well, everybody waited. So we had to say, and I could tell I was probably going to disappoint him, and I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "I'm Methodist." I was raised in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, founded by Richard Allen. And I said, is that okay? And he laughed, and he just hugged me. He just hugged me, and everybody else just cracked up and laughed and clapped. In other words, <laughs> he hugged me anyway. <laughs> and it was, it was okay that I wasn't Catholic. But boy, if I had been Catholic, oh my goodness. Mm. <laughs> but that that's fantastic because, like you said, because you show so much compassion in it, because um, mm-hmm. I know we had talked, and I said, I'm a motivational speaker, and mm-hmm. I do that mm-hmm. with a great passion because I believe mm-hmm. in motivating mm-hmm. people to let them know that life is beautiful mm-hmm. is what you make it, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say some of our audience is listening, and they have everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. when I go out, I always say, write your story. Yes. This is the same thing. If you write it, but most of our stories we have in our minds, and we already know it. Yes. Can a person do this, you think, or do they have to have a deep passion to know how to do it, or can they just go out and just tell the story, and would you advise them to do that? Yes, well, well, I would advise them naturally to come and join the Grill Circle of Maryland, if, if really? they live in Maryland, to come and join us. And if you join us, you will really develop a passion for storytelling. You will become comfortable enough where you will tell your story. And we have different workshops, different programs. We have something called the Spring Fling, where storytellers tell stories for the first time. You know, and it's so wonderful, mm -hmm. and they're so relaxed. And even the program you saw, there were storytellers up there who really hadn't been telling stories, you know, in front of a big audience for a long time. You know, but yet they came up there for that spring fling and they were ready. So, again, it's it's about you having the confidence and the commitment because the whole emphasis really is sharing something with another person. It's making that connection. So if you focus on what the real purpose is and that's sharing and sharing a story, then you forget about your fears. And then you focus on the stories that you like and what you think is appropriate for a particular audience. And you think about the audience you want to tell a story to. Uh, I just did a workshop at Broadmead for elders, and the oldest person in there was 98. Mm-hmm. And I did a call and response workshop. David Fakunle and Brother Bernard Carson and I did it. And it went over very well, very, very well. And most of the time, we sat down and we did things that we could do with our arms and with our faces. Because with storytelling, again, what I emphasize about storytelling is that you tell it in your own way. You can sing your story, dance your story, paint your story, dramatize your story, Uh read your story, write your story, preach your story. 
you tell your story in your own particular way. You use your own talent. And I think that's what is important. And you can sign your story. I've seen beautiful stories told in sign language that, that will really make you cry. So, again, it's however the way you want to tell your story. And I think it's important for the person to determine the best way that they want to share their story. Great. I also am an activity uh, coordinator for the daycare center, and I had Mm -hmm. one of the griots to come, and she did a call and response. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. client loved it. Yes. They loved yes. it because she yes. did exactly what you just said. She mm-hmm. told the story. She acted out. She bought drums. Mm-hmm. And don't mm-hmm. let me start lying about what the instruments were because I don't know. <laughs> but she bought the instruments, and they were, mm-hmm. you know, whenever she told them to do something, they would chime mm-hmm. in with, like, bees inside mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely mm-hmm. great. We know you've got mm-hmm. projects coming up, but our audience, loves and look for outstanding events. And they go to these events because they want to broaden their knowledge of all of the vast cultures that we know we now have in our country. When is the next, I won't say NABS festival, but what is the next, or where can they go or look out for the Griot storytellers? If you're in In the Baltimore area, if they're in the Baltimore area, the next place I will be is this Sunday at the oh, Peel Center, okay. which is 225 Holiday Street. I'm doing a workshop with Dr. David Fakule, and we're going to do a workshop that's going to involve call and response and storytelling and you know and things and things like that. And we'll be doing another workshop on the 28th at Ooh, the same okay. place at the Peel Center. And these workshops are free; they are free. And the Pill Center is a great place to come to because it was the first uh, museum in America. And then it became uh, the first city hall. And then it became the first public high school for black people. And in those days, it was called Male and Female Colored School Number 1. That's what it was actually called, Colored School. And this was in 1878 until mm-hmm. 1887. It, it it stayed there for nine years. So that Pilsen has a has an unbelievable history. So um, in terms of the national festival, that's going to take place, and it starts on Halloween, Ooh, October the 31st through November the 4th in North Carolina and Cary, which is outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to be at the Embassy Suites, and that's already sold out. The hotel is sold out, but there are other uh, hotels nearby. Our, our, our opening pre-festival will take place at North Carolina State, and we're going to have a, a heritage tour that Wednesday morning where people are going to travel to Greensboro to see the Civil Rights Museum there and the Woolworth sit-in counter where, you know, where, where that history took place. And so at our festivals, we have all kinds of activities. Uh, we have the Dr. Teller, 
our most popular event is our Liars Contest. That's right. Every year we have a tall tale Liars Contest that's named in honor of Jackie Torrance, who was a great storyteller, who was from North Carolina, by the way. And this uh, contest is open for everybody. And the winner gets a big cup, gets the Liars Cup. Wow. And we have, oh, yeah, that's, that's a highlight. And we have, uh, like I said, our elders luncheon where we honor the elders and induct them into the circle. We have in the tradition, that's our Friday night concert. Our grand opening is on Thursday night where we have the Mother Mary Carter Smith Love Circle, the Love Circle. And then we end on Sunday with the Mama Linda Spiritual Breakfast and Unity Circle. And in each of these events, there is storytelling. And we have oh. a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Our marketplace is just as popular as everything else where vendors come. We have vendors who, who are follow us because within that site, you might hear storytelling. You might see people signing books. So we really, uh, the marketplace is a part of our culture. It's a part of our storytelling, too. And everything we do tells a story. Our masks tell a story. Our hairstyles right. tell a story. That's Okay, we're going to go online. We're going to tell our audience to go online and look up NAB, National Association of Black Storytellers, and get yes. all this information because it's time for us to sign off. And I want okay. to say, Mama Linda, thank you ever so much for your support and thank for being you. on the show. It was most interesting. I'm going to take thank a break to, and come back to sign off. Again, thank you so much, and have a blessed thank you. day. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a second break, and we we'll Come back and sign off. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Wish Upon a Star. This is Andrea Banks, your host, and we're going to let you know that you can go look in the archives at archivesbbsradio.com, Wish Upon a Star. You can also send us comments and suggestions via email at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Listen to our show live on any of our 50 affiliate stations at bbsradio.com forward slash affiliate dash partners. We're on iTunes, Facebook, and you can listen to our previous broadcast as well. This is Andale Banks, your host, and Denise Banks, our coordinator, saying keep reaching for the star.